This season of What's Your Story is brought to you by Paystack. If you run an online business, Paystack provides you with tools to accept payments from anyone, anywhere in the world. For instance, if you don't have a website, with Paystack, you can create an online store for free. What's more, you can easily create payment links, invoices, and checkout pages to accept payments from your customers. Paystack also integrates seamlessly with popular platforms like Shopify, WordPress, and WooCommerce. And at the end of the day, with super seamless reconciliation, your sales data is just one click away. That's why over 200,000 startups, government agencies, and businesses across Africa use Paystack's suite of tools to power their growth. Visit paystack.com and sign up for a free account to start receiving payments online. Paystack, the smarter way to get paid online. While I was in graduate school, we had to do consultancies before we could get our degrees. And so I did a few of those. One in the United Nations, which has always been a path. Yeah, New York. Um, So in my head, that was the direction I was going. That makes sense. Um, Long story short, it didn't all work work out directly. I graduated during the time that the U.S. had an economic crisis. Yeah. Worse than this one. Yeah. Watched some classmates fast forward to two years who didn't find jobs. Wow. On today's episode, we talked to Christopher Darcy, founder of Aspera, a group that helps professional Ghanaian returnees who help and support. Before Christopher founded the group, she studied international relations at the College of Worcester in 2004 in the U.S. She then went on to continue her graduate study at Columbia University. It was when she returned to Ghana in 2010 that she realized there was a need for support for Ghanaian returnees. So with 12 other Ghanaian returnees, they helped form the group in 2011 as a listserv and have since grown the group to 1,800 members. Let's listen to Christabel how she got her start in the U.S. and eventually came back to Ghana to start the group. Awesome. So hi, Christabel. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Awesome. So as we do with all our guests, we like to ask them a few questions about their background. So I think the first question we'd like to start off is, you grew up in Ghana, correct? And Kind of. Uh, kind of. <laughs> so like, okay, in the beginning, like, how, what were you a child? Like, where did you go to school? How were your parents like? Okay, great. Thank you for having me. So I actually was born in Ghana. And then six months after I was born, we moved to Burkina Faso because okay. my father was working for the World Health Organization, Uncle Sekaias' control program. And the, that's basically the mosquito that gives river blindness. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And Exactly. And all that work was in French West Africa for the most part. So the northern part of Ghana and then across the Sahel. Okay. And so we were in that area for the first six years of my life. Oh, so you grew up in kind of Burkina Faso in that northern part? Exactly. And then at some point, France came into it and then back and forth. And okay. then I came to Ghana when I was seven. You came back when I was seven. So did you come back to school in Ghana? Yes. So my mother was very adamant in us having a Ghanaian education. So mm. I'm the last of four. Okay. My two big sisters had already moved to Ghana to go to secondary school. And so that it was my brother and I, and then she wanted the same thing to happen. So at that point, we actually moved as a family to Ghana. Ghana. Yeah. So then I did, I joined primary school after they started because most people do kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I joined, I think, end of class one. Okay. I went to St. Teresa's and then I did through JSS, went to a Brie Girls for SS, and then I went abroad. Okay. So... She went to Hebrew Girls. So what were you planning to study when you went abroad university? So <laughs> economics was the plan. Okay. Yes. Finishing from Hebrew Girls where I had done 
economics, geography, elective math. Okay, so you, had, you already had some experience with doing, you know, um, economics already. Yeah, so you wanted hence, to do that. that's what I thought I wanted to do. Okay. Yes. So, so what happened? Like when you went, so which, first of all, when you went abroad, like which state did you go to? So I went to college in Ohio, College of Worcester. College of Worcester. Yes. And you were planning to do economics. So right. so what changed in that regard? <laughs> so College of Worcester is a liberal arts college. And what liberal arts college do is they allow you to explore and to find yourself, basically. Mm. So it's not set in stone like the British system okay. um, that we have in Ghana. Right. So when I went in and I said I wanted to do economics, I was assigned an advisor. They said, no problem. You know, it's fine. Take economics 101. But I suggest you to explore other classes. Okay. So I took Economics 101. I took International Relations 101, which sounded interesting because there was a mixture of political science, economics, um, and uh, geography. No, no, sorry. And uh, kind of foreign affairs. Okay. Yeah. And then I did Intro to Drawing, and then I took a first-year seminar. So basically, I was just trying all my passions at this point, and then also doing things that I just didn't know about. Okay, so you wanted to find out what fit, what you liked the most. That is exactly what happened. That was the beauty of that exploration. So you don't have to declare your major till the end of second year, which allows you to literally play around for that first couple of years. By month one of my international relations class, I knew that was it. Month one? Yes. So you just decided, okay, economics is done. Let me just focus on this now. Right. So the funny thing is economics wasn't done. Because in international relations, you still have to take some economics classes. Okay. But I wasn't going to do hardcore economics because I also realized quickly that I did not like microeconomics. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, I was blessed to have that uh, opportunity to explore and Mm. find myself. And you think about it. I was 18, right? Mm -hmm. People were 17, 18. At 17 and 18, you shouldn't expect a child to know exactly what they want to do for the rest of their lives. So that was the beauty of the U.S. education, the liberal arts system that allowed me to do that. So I declared a major at the end of uh, second year in international relations with a focus on political science. Okay. Then did you hear from your parents that you're not going to do economics anymore? Oh, that's part wasn't an issue at all because I had had a previous encounter (laughs) during secondary school. So when I went to Abri Girls, we had a math exam the Mm -hmm. first week of school and everybody had to take the math exam. Mm. And they said first 80 would become science students because the class was like 40 and 40. So A and B, something like that. Okay. And I was 18th. So once I was 18th, I was told that I had to do science. I don't think I've ever cried like that in my life. Okay, you are not a fan of science. No. I mean, at all. I don't like math. My sister and my sisters and brother were all science students. Mm. You know, be, I'm, I guess maybe through the same story that I had, I don't know. Right. Um, but I, they liked it. I didn't. You know, mm. I wanted more in the arts. I knew. I didn't. You knew you were arts. Yeah, I didn't necessarily. I mean, I was always first in English, in JSS, you know. So I knew I my path was more on the writing, mm. the, you know, that path. Okay. Um, so they called my mother in and told her, your daughter needs to do science. She's very smart. Da, 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 da. Um, and I managed to convince her not to let yeah. me do that. Okay. But then I couldn't get out of not doing elective math. You had to do the math. Which was my lowest grade, by the way. Okay, so, so yeah, so definitely math was not the strong point. Well, I didn't like it. 
let me just be honest it could have been but it just wasn't something I was interested in and mm. sadly my personality is such that if you can't convince me something is the way to go I don't you necessarily don't do exactly so I put my energy in the other things that I was good at and then just kept going that's okay cool yeah, so once I fast forward to college there was no issue because mm. I mean and to be honest the only thing my parents really wanted me to do is my father wanted me to be a doctor because none of his kids had been a doctor so I was his last hope so that's where the science would have come Ah, <laughs> uh, so if you had done the science right. the, the pathway would be to doctor by exactly. all means exactly and he would have been happy but mm. I still made him happy because I went in the path of being a diplomat which he he, it right. was, he was in his path as yeah. well working with the UN okay. so we, we found a nice middle ground. Nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so you're doing your, you decided, okay, I'm going to do international relations in college. And then you graduated what year? I graduated in 2004. 2004. Yes. So what, what was your next career path? Or what was the next path for you as far as, go, were you going to do work? Were you going to go to, back to Ghana? What was your next step? Excellent question. It's an immigrant's question. <laughs> so you finish undergrad, you know, you, are, you have your F1 visa, everything is great, a student's visa. Mm-hmm. And then there's a one-year optional train, practical training where you can Mm -hmm. find a job for a year and Mm -hmm. then usually the hope is that that job would hire you, give you the papers for working and then you can stay. That sounds great, but it's not that simple. (laughs) So, yes. And especially also because while I went to an excellent school, particularly in terms of the content of what I did, Mm -hmm. we were in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So accessing firms to do big things was difficult. So I made a... I would like to believe a smart decision to actually stay on campus Mm -hmm. because I had an interest in international relations, like I said, which was my major. But I started enjoying international education policy and higher education. Okay. So I was like, hmm, why don't I spend the year learning higher education to see if that's what I want to do? Okay, so, so kind of experimenting that. in a way. Exactly. Staying on the experiment path, right? right? At this point, I'm like 23, but I haven't figured it all out. So mm. I don't know if I'm getting a path here and how right. we're brought up on the side. But so I stayed on campus. I worked in the International Affairs Office, uh, the Dean's of, Dean of International Affairs Office, which was great because okay. it had the international component, but it was in higher education. So I did that for the year. Nice. While I was there, I applied for grad school. Okay. Because then I also knew the likelihood of getting a job very, very quickly because I had reduced that opportunity mm-hmm. was low. Watching my friends and classmates not necessarily finding something quickly, right. I was like, look, let's go to school. Just continue the path of education. Exactly. And that's what I did. Okay. So what did you apply for? Which Because I know you don't want to stay in Ohio. So what did you try to apply for? <laughs> so, yes, I applied for graduate schools in international relations, like same uh, arena, and I ended up in Columbia University in New York. Okay, so you went so to New culture York. shock. Yeah, so d- <laughs> way different from comparing New York and Ohio. Yes. Okay, so what was the experience in New York like as far as, you know, working? Because, I mean, not working, mm. going to graduate school. Amazing. New York is a melting pot of the whole world, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we had an even better experience because... We were students and we got a lot of discounts to do like Broadway shows, things that today I can't afford. That's nice. You know, it was really nice. So we worked hard and played hard. It was actually excellent. And then with the Columbia Education, the School of International Affairs, which is where I went, 
our professors were renowned, you know, economists, renowned Nobel mm-hmm. Peace laureates, you know, people that, you know, are the top notch when it comes to the field. Yeah, and news, so, yeah. yeah, so we really got exposure to the real world while on campus as well. Nice. Okay, cool. So you got like a wealth of information from experienced people. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, getting all that experience, then what, what were you thinking? Were you thinking that, okay, New York is kind of nice? Would I stay here long term, or what was your what was your thinking going after graduate Good school? Good question. When I first got to New York, I decided I was like, "Why am I here? This place is dirty. There are rats. <laughs> there are no elevators. I re- I just I'm like the sky. Where's the sky? Mm. You know." And then six months later, I didn't see myself living anywhere else because of the mm. culture, the you culture, know, and yeah. the people and yeah. the access. So while I was in graduate school, we had to do consultancies before we could get our degrees. And so I did a few of those, one in the United Nations, which okay. has always I been mean, a path. Yeah, New York. Yeah. Um, so in my head, that was the direction I was going. That makes sense. Um, long story short, it didn't all work, work out directly. I graduated during the time that the U.S. had an economic crisis. Yeah. Worse than this one. Yeah. Watched some classmates fast forward to two years who didn't find jobs. Wow. So I opened my search very widely because I knew that it would help if I first got experience in the U.S. before if I decided to come home, I would. That makes sense. So... I ended up working with a public policy organization. What makes it slightly different is it was U.S. policy okay. versus international policy. Oh, it was very, very specific, more exactly. country-wide. And I didn't know anything about U.S. policy. But I also saw it as an opportunity to learn something, hmm. but apply the same technical skills. And I needed a job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Need to work and get experience. Yes. Exactly. So I took the job. I did on my interview make it very clear that my passion was in international development. Okay. And I took the job with a small business. And fast forward to proving myself, actually, it all worked out because then they allowed me to apply for proposals with the USAID, uh-huh, okay. of which we won some. And fast forward, I ended up working on USAID projects, which is what I went to school for. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay, so you got your job. You're working with the, doing U.S. policy. So why what decided to make you come back to Ghana? Because it seemed like, okay, you've got a job. So why not try to extend it and maybe stay for long right. term? I got a job. I had a work permit. I had a boss who really liked me. Mm-hmm. So I could have done that for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I grew up in a country where, sorry, in a family where it was always something at the back of your mind to give back to your country at some point. Especially when you're getting outside experience in a way. Exactly. And I realized that if I didn't leave, I'll never leave. <laughs> you, you know when you are there. And I was you, comfortable. Yeah, comfortable. You know, good salary, nice roads. You pay your electricity bill, you get electricity. Yes. I mean, Instantly. it was good. So I decided that I should do it then can always come back but mm. I should do it then okay. or I would never do it right so January 2010 my New Year's resolution was to leave the US by the end of the year okay so that means a year later you would leave the US that was the plan okay I left on June 1st okay so halfway yes <laughs> I found a job so I'm not a risk taker like most people who up and leave I'll come and figure it out. I'll come and open a business. No. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm not. So I actually looked for jobs while I was, like once I made the decision that I was going to come home, I started looking for jobs. Okay. 
So I did that and I found a job with a US firm that was looking to expand on the continent. That makes sense. And then joined them and came home. Okay, so you kind of hitched a ride with them and then came back home in a way. Exactly. Nice. I, it was a win-win. Yes. Basically. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so you came back in June 2010. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you came back, was there any, like, I guess, you know, this, this they say reverse culture shock in a way. Was there any thing like that when you came back? Absolutely. So I tell everybody I know that the toughest thing that a person has to go through is being a foreigner in their own country. Mm. The fact that, you know, Ghanaians love foreigners. We say this all the time. Yes. So if you look different, they're very welcoming. Yes. I didn't look different. I looked exactly the (laughs) same. Just like them. But I have an accent. Yeah. And then as soon as I I start speaking fast, I'm too known. Mm. I... You know, I'm not open-minded. Mm. I don't speak tree, which was funny. Because I actually mm. speak tree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so many assumptions come with it. Yeah. And then let's be fair. We also complain a lot when we come back. That's very so true. So we're kind of That's annoying. Very true. Yes, we are. Yes. <laughs> you complain about everything. Yes. Right. So if you put all these things together, the shock could not have been bigger. Mm. It's a tough place to be. Right, right. And when you came back, was there any, I guess, like, not regret per se, but thinking that maybe it might not be the best decision to come back. Or did you have any thoughts like that? Actually, no. None? I mean, home is home. Mm. And, you know, one example, first year I got back, my aunt reached out to me and she talk, tells me about this little girl who was not going to go to school because she was born in a house with, I think, five boys. And they choose the men over the women when yeah. it comes to education if they're poor so this child wouldn't go to school so I asked her you know how much does she need the answer was at the time 160 cities that's it wow 160 cities at a time (laughs) and at the time I think that was like under ten dollars or something like that yeah so I'm like are you kidding she's like yeah yeah that's it so I ended up giving her the 160 cities plus extra money to go to school and she's an SSS now okay now, I tell the story to say how different it is when you're home. Mm. Because you can do little things and it has major impact. Major in the In the U.S., as a foreigner, it would take a lot for you to penetrate the system to be a star. Let's just call it that way. That's right? Right. Yep. But coming home, because we're still developing, there's so much opportunity to do things and actually see how you... Sp- you've contributed towards your country's growth. And so for me, that actually superseded all the, you know, power cuts and heats and tractor drivers crossing me and the guy hitting my car at a red light and telling me, didn't I know that we don't stop at this red light? I have stories for days. Yeah, there's always a story. that bigger impact, you know, kind of made it all worth it. Okay, okay. That that, that makes a lot of sense. So... You became a little mission-driven when you came back. So the question is, how then? How did you even start maybe trying to come up with a group like Hasbro? Good question. So Hasbro actually was born on the plane. On a plane? Yes. On June 1, when I was on the plane, Delta Airlines, I remember very well. It sounds cliche, but it's true. I was asleep. Mm. And I had a dream about how cool it would be if everybody on the plane was like me with a one-way ticket. Hmm, to come and, you know, contribute somehow. Not necessarily just, you see, I'm a development person, so I always say give back. But when I say give back, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you hire people, that's giving back. That's how I translate it. So it's not about not making money, but it's about that impact. And, you know, woke up and I knew I was probably the only person in that vein. So that's one story. I get home 
spend all of my time complaining. It was at the time that the U.S., as I mentioned, the U.S. economic crisis, yeah. a lot of people, particularly in the finance sector, had had to come home mm. because they lost their, they were laid off and then mm. that means your visa is gone. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. the interesting thing is, so I, I, I was hanging out with the friends I knew from the U.S. naturally, right? right. And we all sit and complain after everything, everything, yeah. everything politics, economics, everything, yeah. you know, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> but then one thing that I was seeing was that these guys were actually working in top companies in big positions mm. from Vodafone to MTN to the banks. And these quote unquote kids were like COO, CF. I mean, it was CIO, actually yeah. in the tech side of finance. So I'm like, hmm, hold on. My brother had come to Ghana. Uh, years before Went to the US Which is actually why I ended up going to the US okay. He'd started a software company Doing very well Then But before Had struggled And when you talk to him He will tell you The one struggle he had Was because he was young Yeah, yeah When you're young They don't get that Exactly great, yeah. You know Age means you're more mature You're more stable So you may have The better proposal But they'll give it To the person who's older Yeah So But now I'm looking Fast forward to these guys And seeing that They're actually doing well In the private sector So something is changing Right So I Start thinking of solutions At the same time You know I told you I like to write So I was Mm -hmm. writing At the time Facebook notes And I called it The good, the bad, the ugly And I'll tell my story Like as the stories were happening okay. So as an example I remember one day I was just trying to figure out Why I wasn't as productive As I used to be in the US mm. It's the same person Same driven person But I was just always tired mm. And really It was the heat And traffic mm. Those it, two things Just draining you of yes. your energy yeah. That's it So first of all Those are some of the tips Stay hydrated It's hot (laughs) You know But also make room for traffic And be okay with yourself Because if you spend Say four hours a day in a car Driving in the heat But also the energy you use Mm. You're not going to have Be able to pull that 15 hour day You used to do in the US No So it's okay Embrace it So as I wrote these stories On Facebook I would get so many comments From returnees Like oh my god I'd never thought about this before Yeah experiencing the same thing and then I would also get comments from Ghanaians who hadn't gone abroad, who stayed home, upset at me because they felt that I was putting Ghana out in a bad light. Yes, we tend to do that, yes. Right. <laughs> so I'm seeing this divide, right, mm-hmm. um, between like an us versus them kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, what can we do? So having those conversations around this, also seeing that having a support system to deal with the fact that you're a foreigner in your own country. So if you are with like-minded people, although you need to enter the system and embrace it, it helps. So it's it's soft landing, let's call it that. Basically. So I brought together a few friends. This was later because Ahaspra was born April 2011. So as you see, like, you know, almost a year later. A year later, later, yeah. Yeah. And I said to them, you know what? We've been complaining. We're going through all of these transitions. I think it would help if we create a support network. Support group in a way. And the discussion went back and forth. Like, what do we want? I lost the list, but I had a list of 14 things that were put that day of things that we would love to do. (laughs) Interestingly, in the room, I was like the only development person. So my, Mm. my goal was that I felt it would be nice if we'd volunteer time to parliament 
and synthesize their policies before they make them because I was convinced that people weren't actually reading and they were just no. making policies. Right. And then they all looked at me like, what are you talking about? We want money. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that was the beauty of it because it was like different kinds of approaches to the same thing. Right. So Ahaspra was born. Okay. That day in my mother's house over food. I always tell people food is important. Food is good, yes. Yeah. And the name was actually a name that my mother had nicknamed me when I came back. Oh, okay. Saying that I was no more longer diaspora because I was aha. Uh-huh. Ah, so when okay. I told them that this is the name my mom's given, they're like, ah, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect name, yeah. And then that's, that's really it. So we decided that we'll start small with a listserv where people can just ask questions because that was one of the big things. Like you've been away 15 years, you don't remember where, what is, things have changed. So if we just start galvanizing people and asking questions and getting our questions answered, that in itself helps the transition. True, it's a soft landing, as you said. Exactly. So that's how it all started. Okay, cool. So you started in 2011. Correct. So throughout the years I just want to ask like what has that experience been like building out this group you know getting people to come back from you know diaspora back to Ghana and trying to transition back what has that whole experience been for you working with these people it's been amazing it's actually it's interesting it's been really fulfilling for everybody but for myself as well because it also helped me to settle it also gave me a purpose for being home but it's the stories like people who would show up at happy hours and say, look, I was literally on my way out because I just couldn't deal anymore. And then somebody told me that this is happening, came and had conversations with people like themselves and then was like, oh, maybe I can do this. Oh, wow. So they were literally thinking themselves they want to leave the country. Literally. Hmm. True story. You know, and not once. It's happened, you know, Multiple several times. times. And or the person who just got off the plane and was told, oh, it's a Hasbro happy hour come and then they come in and then they meet people and then they find a business partner ah perfect you know so it's difficult to quantify what we've done currently our list has over 3,000 people okay and so the questions are answered in a minute mm. um and people are doing that but it's it's not it's more powerful than the numbers yeah it's the qualitative stories of mm. people's lives being changed as a result. And one of the things that we quickly also set up was a give back part of it, you know, where we created a flagship mentoring program for high schoolers because the thought was that we've been abroad, we become a certain way, we have a different mm. work ethic, yeah. we are on time, you know, that kind yes. of stuff. Let's try and build some of these values in the younger people and let's start young. Mm. Um, so yeah. I'm gonna build, we, yeah. we started this mentoring community and really took over like the space and mentoring, you know, to to be able to not academic, but professional, personal career mentoring. Okay, that's good. So, okay, so you built this group, this path. So I just want to just like park it there for a second and just go back to you personally and professionally. So how, when you came back to Ghana, what work were you doing as far as professionally? Mm -hmm. So I moved with an international firm, as I mentioned, an American company. Mm -hmm. I was doing microfinance research. I was the Africa regional manager staying in Ghana incorporated their office in Ghana and then also worked in six other African countries for okay. them I did that for a couple of years and then I I was done with that so I joined the different UN organizations right. as consultant I did FAO food and agriculture organization as a gender specialist 
did UN Women. I worked with Oxfam for a quick bit. I was in the system as a consultant, right. basically, hopping around, getting experience and also giving off my experience. Okay. Did that for a bit. And, you know, as fate would have it, the company I worked for in the U.S., I had written a proposal for USAID, a big one, okay. that we had heard nothing about. Mm. And two years later, they called. So my former boss was like, they called, did you do this? You know, like, I I don't quite recall. And I'm like, yep. So they invited me over to help with the final proposal presentation and we won the contract. So once we won the contract, essentially, they were like, do you want to do this? And I said, actually, I do. And it's my baby, right? But I have one condition. I want my address to stay Ghana. And they agreed. Okay. So I stayed here, but I was gone pretty much the entire time. Mm. So this is from 2012 to 2015. Okay. And during that time, you were also still kind of managing Aspora in a way. Yes. Aspora was always there throughout because it's it's a passion project. So mm. it, it never, and it was just growing, you know. Fifth anniversary was big, great, you know. Again, the memories we'd created, the people we'd worked with, the relationships we'd built, the people who'd found houses, jobs, husbands, wives, you know? Yeah, community, yeah. Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) The community built, yes. So I did this job. It was basically traveling across the world doing economic growth evaluations. Mm. And so it worked because once I was, although I was based here, I was going back and forth to mm-hmm. a lot of different countries. Yes. And then once the contract was up, I was done. And then I got the job at the World Bank. Okay. And when you transitioned to the World Bank, was it, I guess it was a, more a step up, right? And you still had to go, still manage Aspera in a way. Yes. So you're still kind of managing your passion project and yes. doing a bigger role at the World Bank. Yes. <laughs> well, so I joined the World Bank in the U.S. because I was in the U.S. Okay. But it was for a role in Ghana. Okay. And it was, it wasn't a step up. It was a linear. It was a linear path. Is that the word? Yeah. yeah. Linear path. It was joining another institution. Mm. But one of, what attracted me most to it was in the job I was in before, it was a small business. I was a manager. I was the boss. Mm. You know, I had a boss, but I was the boss. Right. For my unit. And I wanted experience to grow. So I started looking for larger organizations where I wouldn't be the champion, to be honest, so that I can also learn. And so it was very attractive for that reason. So I didn't necessarily join it for an upward per se at the time, but it was more so for, first of all, it's like the one of the, how do I say, gold stars of development in terms of companies. So that's one. But also because of the opportunity to learn under the feet of just really good professionals in the in the space. Yes. So I, I did that. And the icing on the cake was to officially return home. So, so I have yeah. two returns, if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So you had like, it's almost like a sequel. You're coming back to Ghana the exactly. second time. Exactly. Yes. So it, that was really, so it wasn't a money thing. It wasn't a, you know, oh my God, I got the you know, CEO job or whatever it was, right. but it was excellent development, like right what I went to school for. Nice. 100%. Oh. So I took it and then I moved home. And yes, Ahaspra was still going, still growing. 
successes, challenges here and there. Mm-hmm. A few times I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then I'll, you know, get a phone call from like a government official. We're, right. we're reviewing the diaspora engagement policy. We want you to take a look at it. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. you have become re- relevant. Yeah. It's not about me anymore. It's bigger than me. We need right. to keep going. And so we started structuring ourselves a bit more getting a team together so that we can really, you know, take it to the next level. Right. We had already incorporated as an organization. So we were pretty much the only returning organization in Ghana. Yeah, that's... Yeah, and then just started building. In the meantime, I was doing my international development work, working for poor people and just having a blast, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of being able to have impact um, on both ends. Yes. Okay, so that means now Hasbro has been like, I guess, 10 plus years yeah. in the making. Yes. Okay, so I just want to just find out from you, like, what has been like the, I guess there's two points I want to re- ask. What has been the highest point for you for us? What has been the lowest point for you? We organized conference for our 10th anniversary, Ghana Action Forum. Mm-hmm. And that was just amazing. Amazing because of, in my opinion, the content, the kinds of people we had, we were able to bring on board, you know, due to networks we built, mm-hmm. Lucy Quest, Antoinette Kofi, MTN CFO. We had Kofi Anku. We had the deputy CEO of GIPC. I mean, mm-hmm. we name it, Kosiyanki G, executive director, name it. We brought it from the private sector, from the public sector, from the creative sector. We had an Ajete Anan. They showed up, you know, and they showed up because they were all interested in, you know, the idea we presented, which was how can we as people in the diaspora, people returned home, Mm -hmm. people who are at home together Mm -hmm. build our our country and continent. Mm. And it was it was a lot of work. We didn't have any money. So fundraising was painful. Mm. But just those two days having over 400 people participate, the conversations we had, the kinds of uh, actions that we put together to do, that was my highest point, I would okay, say, okay. Um, in terms of just feeling that, you know, we're being relevant in that's this good. space. That's yeah. good. And what about the lowest point, even though that's not fun to talk about? <laughs> it will be difficult to pinpoint. All I do know is, oh, I, yes, I, I remembered what. <laughs> Okay. So, you know, we run a listserv, right? Like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So over time, we're building. At, it started with me knowing everybody to it's become too big and I, I don't know people as much. Right. And we try to manage it because in the end, our name is on what we do. Yeah. But it's a free posting. So people can just post what they need to businesses, questions, discussions, whatever. Okay. And I remember and I try to take bad things out of my head. So I don't remember it completely, but... I remember once where somebody just posted something that was off. Mm. And so we had to call them out, Mm. you know, so, but actually the way it happened was I was offline. Okay. Somebody saw it and Mm. responded like very harshly. Oh, okay. So it became like a back and forth. Gotcha. And then I think I saw it maybe five hours later, which was actually good because sometimes it's good to let things just run a bit. And similar, yeah. And then I crafted a very, like, in my opinion, diplomatic response, right? Yes. And then this person came back and just and dissed us all. Like, you know, wow. I guess they had beef with the house. I don't, I can't even explain, but it's like this explosion of anger from yeah, nowhere. And taking it out on the group. Yes. Hmm. And you think, why do I bother? Right. It, it kind of 
brings you down in a way. Absolutely. So why even? Yeah. Absolutely. So I remember that was that day. It took a lot not to just shut down. Wow. I remember so well because it it went on for about two three days. Also because then it became like a group thing, right? So there's that so, on this side. <laughs> so, fa- so factions against factions. Exactly. And it was just, it was dif- it was difficult. It was really, it was a low moment. And, you know, you put in so much effort. And, you know, networks are tough, right? Yes. Because it's volunteer. You're not, in a you know, way, paying. Yeah. And then you're, you're giving people things, but you're not necessarily Getting able to see the, the what impact. they are doing. Because, True. for example, we, we just put together an app that we're testing to roll out and that will help us at least track what is happening in the community Mm -hmm. but what we have is a google listserv and so Mm -hmm. if you ask a question and then you somebody else's answers i don't see the answer Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of a a one-to-one in a way exactly so you gain but then you're not coming back to a hospital to say oh it's because of a hospital that i did xyz you know so already it's almost for lack of a better term a thankless job but we know what we're doing and, and you know, the few who will come back and let us know makes shows that it's worth it. Mm. But it was it was it was tough. Mm. It really was. That's you know, right. it was like and it happens everywhere. It happens at work, it happens at home. Sometimes you ask yourself, why are we even doing this? Mm. You know. So that was one of those. But you know, wait years later here we are. Yeah, still chugging bigger and stronger. Okay, that's pretty good. So I was wanna ask you a question about just you in, in general, as far as your career path and your career growth because you're still doing developments even running a Hasbro. Yes. So I want to ask you this question about just if somebody would come to you ask you this, this question about if you had to change anything you know your career path what you've done the projects you've done what would you change if you had to go back in time and change it again do you have any regrets about your career path would you do something differently what would you do? I don't think I have regrets because they're more lessons. Mm-hmm. But if there's one regret, if I'm being very honest, is that I didn't get U.S. citizenship before I left the U.S. Mm. And I didn't do it because I'm a very patriotic citizen. And so it was more of a statement. But I look back and I'm like, that was a foolish statement. (laughs) Sorry, let me just say, (laughs) you know, because you could get the best of both worlds. Yes. So that one decision, for example, meant that when I moved home with the World Bank, I moved as a Guinean. And the work set up for a Ghanaian or for a a national is very different than for a national or an international. That's very true. Very different path in development space, right? And maybe private sector too has something similar. So that would be if I'm advising somebody, if you go out there and you have the opportunity, now even fast forward, there's dual citizenship. So before mm-hmm. there wasn't. So yeah. that was part of my thing. No, I'm a Ghanaian. I'm yeah, still a Ghanaian. Yeah. Well, I'm still a Ghanaian. Gosh. And I still also am an American to some extent. Yeah, because so you live there. Really, yeah. what does a document do? Mm. And I think that's one of the things. It's, I would say the outcome is not necessarily regress or anything like that. It's more of delayed progress. Mm because it makes it a bit tougher for you to penetrate the system in that way. Makes sense. So that would be one, I'd say, career choice. Another one would be, and this is not a regret at all, there's more advice to people if they're in the international development space. Mm-hmm. Out of grad school, I should have gone to work in like Afghanistan or Sudan. Oh, okay, you like going Just to, to get like... that experience, yes. you yeah. know, but you need to do it early because at some point in your life, that's not the time. Yeah, you, you, it, yeah your priorities change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, and I stayed in the US because it was safe and I got, you know, 
a safe job when people couldn't find jobs. But, you know, in hindsight, going to the field, exploring that opportunity, just seeing that side of development space on the ground in countries that I'll probably never go to, I think could have been, you know, another good thing for my career. And then the last one I'll mention is, you know, I spoke French before English, Mm, but I didn't pursue French. Mm. And so right now, if you throw me into France, I'll survive. Okay. But I can I can do work French, oh, okay. and, I, and that's a gap. And at some point, I, I you know it's never too late, right? So I need to pick it up. And as soon as I I'm in it, it grows. Yes. But that has I think there could have been more opportunities, especially if, if I, yeah. yes, if I was reading and writing French in addition to being able to speak it. Okay, cool. Okay, so I have one last question um, to ask before we wrap up. So you've been building Hasbro on the side, you've been doing your development work and your career work. If you had to give like one piece of advice to somebody who wants to also kind of build up networks or community groups or even development work, um, what piece of advice would you give them? Follow your passion. It's very important. You know, people ask me why, for example, I don't do a Haspa full time. Mm. It's because I have the best of both worlds. You know, my passion is international development and I'm right in the heart of my passion. And then I found this other passion along the way, almost self-inflicted by, you know, my move to Ghana. Right. And I just decided I would do it, you know, so I could have hesitated. I'm busy. I'm, you know. And we wouldn't have the network we have if I did that. So my advice is that, you know, when you have a passion, life isn't rosy. It's not easy. Mm. You know, it's not for you to come and sleep every day. (laughs) You know, we need to have, you know, our purpose and follow it. And so when you have ideas or you have passions, and yes, I have many. So I'm Mm. not saying follow every one of them. But at least, you know, define what it is that you do and do it. Another thing also is on this side of the world, it's a bit easier to do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, abroad, typically you're stuck in a job, yeah. you know. So that opportunity also means that it's good for you to explore and see what else you can do. You know, and for a lot of people, they'll tell you their side gig became their main gig and vice versa. Yeah. You know, So just explore, fail, which is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I have failed many times, but you see them as lessons and then you grow. Yeah, so that w- that would be that's what I would say. Awesome, and on that note, I guess we can wrap it up. So, thank you, Krista Bell. I uh, really appreciate you making the time and also giving this piece of advice to our listeners. So, thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. It's been great. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Your Story. This episode was brought to you by Paystack, the smarter choice for accepting payments from anyone anywhere in the world. Visit paystack.com to get started.